Hello, my friend. Episode 150 of the Trudy podcast. What a cool milestone that is. And interestingly, I'm bringing back a guest who's been on the show before to celebrate this episode. If you've been with me for all 150 episodes over these couple of years that I've been doing the podcast, well, more than a couple of years, it's been three, four years, I think, almost. So it's taken us a little bit of time to get to 150 episodes, but all good things take time. I think that was an ad on TV growing up. I can't remember who for, but all good things take time. And if you've been with me for 150 episodes and you've listened to all of them, you are amazing. I love you so much. Thank you for putting this show in your ears and for all of your feedback and sharing of the podcast over the years that's also very much appreciated. But if you're a new listener, if you've just heard about the True to You podcast, someone's tipped you off and said, hey, you got to listen to this podcast. She interviews some really cool businesswomen and men, and she talks about a lot of the ups and downs of marketing and growing a, a small business. You're going to love this one. Well, thank you and welcome to you. Welcome if you're a new listener. So quick update in my world Nothing major has happened, but I did have a lovely, lovely experience last Thursday night. So this is going back a week ago now as I'm recording this intro. I decided a little while ago that something I would love to do was to have a beautiful dinner with a few women. Like we're not talking 50, 60 big massive event. I love going to big big events. I think it's really fun to be in that energy and to meet all sorts of different people, people you unless you get in those big rooms that you might not cross paths with. But I thought, you know what? It takes a bit of energy for me to be in those rooms personally. I have to work myself up sometimes to going to those big events because it's not my natural way of connecting with people. I love a more intimate setting. I love more one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'm probably what you'd call a bit of an ambivert. I think I can turn on the extroversion. I can turn it on in the marketing if I need to, but I really love deeper, meaningful conversations. I can do a little bit of small talk if, if need be. I'm good at that. I can play that game. But I thought what would be really cool would be to get together with say a dozen women who have made a real impact on my journey over the past few years going from part-time business owner to full-time business owner, moving interstate and just even that experience in itself and and like over the last few years it's been challenging I think I've spoken before on the podcast one of my challenges last year I think realizing after moving here and then being kind of shut down for two years with all of the the chaos of the world it really felt like I didn't have a chance to establish friendships and growing a business means that you're not automatically rocking up to work and you have you know, 
10, 20, 30, hundreds of team members or hundreds of staff that you work alongside, it's you. And now it's me and my husband and the dog, Luna. And for the most part, that's, that's life. And so the other business women and men that I cross paths with through the coaching work, but also just through the bits of networking that I've done over the years have been so important. And especially in the last year, I've noticed that a lot of my friends are fellow business owners because you get it. You understand what it's like to grow a business, the challenges, the challenges of balancing business and family and all of those things that sometimes are harder for people that don't run a business to understand. And I'm not saying that you don't understand, but there are there are some differences. And so it means that a lot of my friends run businesses and I wanted to get them all together in a room. And so we had this beautiful, intimate evening. We had a private dining room all to ourselves and all of this amazing food. Also just hanging out with women who love food, want to chat about anything. And we're all very different women. We came from different industries. There's women in the fitness industry, wellness industry. There's a lot of creatives at that table. And women, like I said, that have have really made an effort to connect and have interest and support my work over the years. And I wanted to to get us together. So I hope this is one of many and maybe I'm piquing your interest with this if you're based locally. It's it's something that I'm doing as a smaller initiative, so I'm not really advertising it, but I just wanted to say to those women, if you are listening and you came along, I really appreciate you. And I think that it's important that we we create these things and we create things most importantly this was I'm I'm going on a little bit here this is an extended intro just FYI so you can skip through this if you're not interested but I think that in your business from time to time you should really create things that you want to go to marketing shouldn't all be about following this strict strategy because someone's told you that's how it needs to be done you're not going to have the same energy for that type of marketing or for that type of connecting relationship building networking whatever term you want to put on it I realize you know what this is something I want to create mostly for personal benefit not for anything to do with business or not for anything to connect back to to coaching or anything like that but really just to celebrate these women and bring us together and give them an opportunity to connect and maybe something happens for them that's one of my favorite things about running a business is how much you get to connect other business owners and support each other and refer to each other and it starts with that really strong connection and creating that trust and trust is something that I'm really going to speak a lot more on over coming months and probably years because I think we're seeing a real shift in the culture and we want to have people in our corner that we can trust and support us and believe in the mission that we have right so 
all that said, create things that you would love to go to, that you would love to be a part of. And really magical things will happen as a result. Okay. Okay. So that was a really long intro. Like I said, if you wanted to skip over that, all good. But I wanted to just let you into a little bit of my world in the past few weeks because I haven't been doing intros to the episodes. So we've been diving straight into the episodes. The last few weeks have been taken from Instagram lives that I've been doing on a Tuesday and I'm going to keep doing those Instagram lives. It's a really fun medium to play with. So if you're around at 2, 12 p.m. 12 p.m. on a Tuesday, you're welcome to join us over on Instagram and be in the live conversation. But otherwise, I bring them to the podcast so you can re-listen to them. And a lot of it's related to marketing, but different things that I can support you with with what we're learning and and how the businesses that we're supporting are growing what's working for them they're much shorter episodes so it's a good one just if you need something short and quick to listen to but today's guest for episode 150 is Kate Kate Histon she is a former dance studio owner you'll find out when I introduced Kate at the start of the episode. She, she has had a very big change in the last year, the last seven months. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of the time when we think about running a business, we're, we're very much front and center in terms of what's going on for us right now. And often we can't think months ahead. But this conversation with Kate is really incredible because she ran her business for 23 years almost and over that time she saw lots of shifts and changes in her industry she had staff come and go and so we talk a little bit about leadership and growing a team and her experience of that but we also talk about what it's been like to really dial in the operation side of the business and some really simple things that she did to allow her to create a strong exit strategy for her business because not all of us are going to own our businesses for the rest of our lives. Very, very quick minor thing before we get into the episode, just a short trigger warning that we do briefly talk about mental health in this episode. There is some things that Kate mentions around that. So if you are sensitive to mental health issues or if you need support, please make sure that you reach out to the right people. But I wanted to let you know that there is a part of the episode where we do talk about some sensitive stuff. Let's get into it, shall we? Here is episode 150 with Kate Histon. I am back with a guest that we had in November 2021 and we all can faintly remember what that 2020-2021 period was like. It was a little bit crazy. So Kate is joining me, Kate Histon is joining me again on the show. She was episode 106 and now we're up to about 150. So 
not that many episodes ago, but certainly time-wise feels like a lifetime ago. So welcome back, Kate. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Ruby. I absolutely loved last time and looking forward to having a chat today. And you've had some big changes. Now, maybe these were a little bit on the cards in November when we spoke or October, November, whenever that conversation we had. I mean, as far as like what we were talking about, you're very much knee deep in running your dance studio, which you had had, I guess it would be about 20 years at that stage. Yep, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So there's been some big changes since then, which is very exciting. Why don't you give us a little update on what's happened in your life since then? Well, I sold my dance school and so I had owned it in its entirety for just under 23 years. So I sold it. The settlement date was the 12th of the 12th, 2022. And so life now looks very different. I, yeah, I'm in dance adjudicating and some leadership coaching, but that was my big news that I have sold my business after such a long time. That's very, very cool. And I'd love to actually go into the process of selling a business because we sold 50% of a business when we left Melbourne and then we had also sold another business prior to that. Sometimes it can be very easy and it's a luck thing. Someone Mm. turns up and I know that your situation when you actually bought into your business in the first place was almost a bit serendipitous. So maybe that's happened again, but for most business owners, especially in in our creator club community we have some gym owners we have pilates studios yoga studios and the thing that we find with those businesses is they're very much tied to the owner the owner is who you look to when it comes to knowing that business you're very much embedded in it and we go oh that's Kate's dance studio type of thing so it can be very hard for an owner a to step away because it's been their life but also because someone else is buying into your dream that you've set up and that's based on your personality and your style and and what you wanted to create it's not like buying a franchise f45 or something like that where you've got a template model and it's a bit easier to sell so Why don't you take us back to the start of the process? How long did it take and how did that all come about? Well, so probably before, to give you an idea, before COVID, I had had a baby, my little boy Arlo, and he was six weeks old when we went into lockdown. Now, before that, I had set up my business to have an exit strategy. So I wasn't teaching anymore. I had a manager. I had a beautiful big folder that that if I had sold it, someone could walk in and it explains how to do everything. So how to run the computer, how to open up the business for the day and end of day summary, anything you wanted to know about running the business was, was in this big book and (laughs) I had 10 employees. So that's what it looked like. And then COVID hit and we survived COVID. And then after COVID, I had a big change in staff, had a new manager I think I had four, I'd lost four, gained four new staff. And what was happening before COVID because I had my baby was I was thinking I do want to sell my business at some stage. I didn't know and I wanted to be ready. And so I had made sure I was ready. I was not working 
in the business. I was working with my manager and obviously doing like team building and working with the staff as well, but not teaching. So that was the picture. And then obviously after COVID, I had to rebuild that again, rebuilt that. And again, I wasn't actively looking for a sale, but what happened for me was my major competitor who was only 50 meters up the road and they were in a previous little town, but right before COVID, they moved their business right next to mine almost, oh. which was a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that owner of that business had sold it to someone else at the beginning of COVID, right before COVID hit. So the new owner of that business, a re- beautiful woman, she then had this business and oh, COVID hit. Position. So it was quite full on for her. Yeah. And she also, even though she was right up the road from me, it wasn't her choice to move the business there. The old owner had done that, Mm. which she, you know, felt a little bit funny about. So what happened was the new owner of my, my business, so she had, her lease had finished on her building and something had happened and it turned out that her business didn't have a home anymore. So I was at the point where I thought, rock on, this is going to be amazing. We're going to boom again. Her business that was 50 meters up the road hadn't so normally because I have had my school for 23 years I had had it for that long I started to realize and understand the patterns of when a competitor moves into town it never affected me straight away it was always usually the second and third year that my business felt it so when she moved in I was calm this is before COVID when when the business moved 50 meters up the road I was calm and then I said to my manager at the time don't worry this we won't feel it now, but we will feel it in two years based on the pattern. Like it just, Mm. you just get so familiar with the patterns and the nature of your business and the competitors and you do, you know, do your SWOT analysis. And, and then I would very quickly do a SWOT analysis and, and look at what's the strength, how is this going to affect us and try and predict it and then try and solve that then and add more value. So that's what I'm doing in the background. So getting back to the sales, sorry, I know I'm diverting, but She was, her business, I think had about eight weeks left in this property, 50 meters up the road. I knew it would be really hard for her to actually stay in the industrialist area in Byron Bay. And I was in the position now, my goal was always to buy my property. So what happened was just to give your audience an idea, I had started my dance school when I was 19 with 18 students. We were renting halls. And I knew that long-term I didn't want to be renting halls. I wanted my own building, but I didn't want my own building until I could obviously buy it. I didn't want to lease something and then pay a 200 plus thousand dollar fit out. So this is back in the early 2000s. So I just saved and saved and worked hard, worked very hard. And then there was an opportunity and I purchased this property in the industrial estate back in 2000 and oh my goodness, I think it was 16. And so had moved in there beginning of 2017 and decked it out. So instead of renting halls, we had a purpose-built studio. So now my competitor, that was such a fantastic opportunity that I was in that worked very, very hard for. And I realized that the affordability of either buying or even renting out another building the size of mine and then having to fit it out is such a massive cost. And I thought she's the new owner. If I want to sell this, this is actually such an opportunity Mm. for her. And I just 
messaged her, let her know, I've heard about the position you're in. Do you want to meet for coffee? And I look, to be honest, it's, it was almost touch and go. I, I also thought, well, Hey, I could just own this for another 20 years. My daughter's 17 years old. I've trained her up. She's also an employee of my dance school. So I had conversations with my daughter. Look, is this something that you might want to do one day and take over the business? And I know she's only 17, but she (laughs) very, very clearly said to me, mum, no, it's not. And I went, okay, so I'm just letting you know that I don't want to do this forever. I would like to sell one day. How would you feel about that? Well, mum, it's your life. You've got to do what you want to do. She's pretty cool. Thanks. Thanks, Sinead. (laughs) And so I didn't talk to her. I didn't, she didn't know that I was meeting this lady to possibly put it out there. Anyway, so I met, her name is Amy. She's very lovely. I met her and just, she just opened up to me about obviously the vulnerability of how stressed she is of not having a place and not knowing what to do. And so at first I just, I kind of wanted to feel out the situation I said to her, look, I've got Friday afternoon if you wanted to rent from me as well as renting other places just till you get, even though, you know, I am a competitor. It was, it's also, you can collaborate. It doesn't have to be this all or nothing mentality Mm. with competition. And that was something she kind of said, oh, I'll have a think about it. And I know that would have been maybe uneasy as well for her. And I just wasn't really sure if I was going to say, look, I was, I'm thinking maybe I might sell. Yeah. But at the end of the conversation, literally after a two hour chat, I said, look, I am in a position where in a couple of years, I would be thinking about selling my school. My husband is German. We'd like to maybe live in Germany for six months. And I don't, I knew very clearly that I didn't want to own, own a dance school. If I was going to live in Germany, even though I have traveled overseas and owned it and ran it from there, it's something I just knew I don't want to do. And I said, if, if this is something that is opportune for you now, I could be open to you buying me out and you can, obviously she would rent from me the Mm. building. And she, she went, oh, wow. I didn't actually expect that. And I said, I know. And I didn't really expect that I was actually going to say that, but there it said, and, and it felt fine to say it, you know, there was probably a bit of fear, especially being in a small town. You don't want to have all this gossip and people talk. And I had to trust that she was just going to be professional as well. Mm. And so she said, she'll think about it. And then I think two weeks after that, we, there was a big dance competition and, you know, our schools were competing against each other and as well as lots of other schools. And yeah, that was just letting it pass. And then I think it was probably about three weeks after that, she had then reached out to me and said, look, I would like to actually meet with you. Because I had said, sorry, at that coffee, if she was interested, I can pass on a non-disclosure agreement and she can then, I'll send her my financials and mm. all of that. And that was always ready to go for me. So so three weeks after that, she had messaged me, said, yep, I'd like to, if I've, I can sign the non-disclosure and look, I'd like to look at your books. <laughs> and I went, yep, sure. So... That was the next step that happened. And then she then ended up all of a sudden one day emailing one afternoon saying, okay, I'd love to buy your business. Let's do this. There was no negotiation. There was the price. I gave her a really good price. Like it was fair. It was something that she she knew was a good price. So we then met on Monday. We talked about it. And being women, we also talked about the little emotional things that came up of, of, of how and, and how would we tell our clients and the timing and, and all of that. And I think 
that that was really important. The timing was important to me and I feel like the narrative was important for her in terms of because it was a kind of a competing school. Yeah. And kids and sometimes parents get really stuck in that competitive mentality like that, like an enemy You're or something. You're my teacher and yeah. that's my school. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very territorial. So. Yeah. So we kind of, we ironed that out and then within, so from when we met on the Monday, within two weeks after that, we had, we had hand exchanged contracts. Wow. It was very, very quick. And that was the 14th of November that date. And then the settlement was due to happen on the 12th of December. Oh, that's quick. It was very, very quick. And I think the initial, the initial conversation took place at the end of July or August. Yeah. From memory. Okay. Yeah. And it was, look, it was very smooth. It was, there didn't feel like any big hiccups. It was meant to be, it was a great opportunity for her and a great one for me. It was a win-win for both of us. And were you able to exit the business completely after that handover? So in the contract of sale, I was legally bound for two weeks to do a handover with her from the 12th of the 12th to two weeks after that date. And she didn't really want or need me. So that was because she'd always, oh, she wasn't green to the business. She'd already had her dance school up the road. And what happened was a big part of it was she inherited my manager. So my manager was staying on and she's still there t- now. And so Loretta's great. She she just knew the ins and outs of the business. So I, I wasn't needed. I was around if she wanted me and she knew that. But she I think she just wanted to get her head right in there, work with Loretta on – building the campaign for enrollments for the following year, which is also a really important thing to do. You've just got to, because that was quite late in the game as well, the 12th of the 12th. With the nature of the dance school, usually you're starting your enrollments for the following year at the beginning of term four. And you even get some schools that have got full-time programs that are actually starting them right now in the middle of the year for the following year. So she had to work hard. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's very exciting. Congratulations. Oh, thank Kate, you. Because, yeah, I, I know what that process can be like and it's probably – it's it's harder than selling a house, I think, a business. Yes. Because anything could happen and, yeah, when you don't hear from someone for a few weeks and you're like, oh, it's a no and, yeah, keeping calm and all that. Yeah. So, totally understand that process I'd love for you to maybe give everyone a couple of key things that looking back set you up to be able to sell the business and I know that this is actually probably like you said years in the making you also wanted to exit with the ability to be financially stable so you weren't having to Mm. go on to something straight away which is great. So we don't really have to go into that side of it because everybody's situation, I think, after selling yeah. a business is going to be different. But in terms of having the business in a position where it was a great opportunity for someone, what's a couple of things that you would advise other service businesses to think about? Yeah, I, I feel like it's really important. The emotional part of it is okay. really worth talking about. And then also, obviously, the practical So for me, because I started my business at 19, I was pretty much a baby starting it and I sold it just before 42. So that gives you, now you know my age. Um, (laughs) And so I had grown with my business and my business was the longest committed thing I'd ever done in my life. And yet again, it was something based on that I used to do as a child, dance. 
So I was, I went to a therapist and I said, right, I'm thinking of selling, give me the stats. I just want to know what are the stats? What's it like? And and what's, what advice do you have for me if I'm going to do this? And I got some really good advice on the emotional. So the emotional was being the change of identity. Yeah. 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 So you will grieve, like it's okay to grieve your business. And this woman said to me, don't try not have anything that you're fully jumping into for six months after you sell, if you can. And I know that again, that depends on your situation and that is such an individual thing. And I was able to, to kind of do that. I also get quite fidgety, but uh, (laughs) so just so that you can actually just relax and let yourself kind of take stock of that. And, and she, she said, yep. Anytime that you feel like you've missed it or you've made a mistake, just let yourself, you know, feel it and then let it move through you. Now I didn't actually go through any major grief. I had right before I sold it, I felt telling my staff was the hardest thing. Telling my clients, like all of the students was really hard. We had some, there was some big tears. There was some big emotions, but telling the staff, yeah, there was 10 of them felt like I was just tearing my heart out of my soul, (laughs) my soul, my body. And that was, that was hard. I felt like I was letting down a lot of people because I also knew that the new owner was not going to re-employ all of my staff because she had her staff and she did employ some of mine and she was very clear on who, who and why she needed what person. So once I had done that, that that was a good two weeks of, I think I was crying every day, oh, wow. <laughs> every day. And it was when I was going to work or, and then we had our big concert and there were more tears then. But then after that, I felt like just really proud and like I knew I'd made the right decision. And I feel very, very grateful that I was brave enough to t- follow my instinct, my intuition and, and take that opportunity. And so I would say on that emotional side of it, when there is an opportunity, you know, you will know. But on the practical side, for me, it was really important that I was ready. So what I had done was I had set up my dance school so that I wasn't working in it anymore. I wasn't teaching any classes. I had a manager. I didn't even need to be there. Practically on a managerial level, I used Trello board and I communicated with my manager. So every Sunday I would just update the Trello board for the week. If there was anything that needed to be done that was out of the normal, you know, ordinary job job to do. And then I would, yeah, that was the way I communicated with her. And having, also having said that, yeah, this, book together this manual on how to run the school that I started to put that together about four years beforehand I was so proud of that I don't even think Amy's needed it or looked at it because she's kind of just what come in with her system but regardless it is such a good thing for a new owner to have Mm. the way you do things the way you greet customers everything there was a whole section on customer service there what the ethos of dance dynamics was and why it existed and how we operated. So, so that was all there. Yes. Did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's great. I love that you said that it took four years of developing the operations. I mean, that was an operations manual, but basically yeah. taking everything that you had learned the, that would have been sort of 15 or 16 years prior. Yeah. 
and saying, okay, how do we do things around yeah. here? Because I think if you're really involved as the owner still, yeah. you just take for granted what oh. you know. Yeah. And you'd already put a manager in place, which meant that you had to pass that information on. But yeah, it's very easy for owners to, and I know this because I'm a bit of a control freak, like to hand everything over or feel like you didn't have sort of an eye on the, on the business day to day must've been, that must've been the first challenge. I yeah. imagine. And then get the business in a position where you could sell it, where it's like, yeah, you're literally handing over. And another little tip, which was helpful was my manager put together as well as myself and a, another assistant put together this manual. So when I employed my, the first manager I had before COVID, Stevie, he started it with Aaron, my admin. I had a, a manager and an admin person at the time. And so I would explain what the job was to them. And I said, right, I would like you, when you're not busy, part of your job is to write what your job is. Mm. And so, cause there might've been slow times in the business in certain parts of the year. And then they just email me at the end of the week, how, what they what they had done and I'd read through it and I'd put my bit into the role as well and because that's also really important I didn't want each job to be dependent on the person and then they leave you know if they leave for whatever reason that was another thing I found really helpful was I, well I've got a manual here for an admin person and here is something that tells them everything that they need to do and of course I would I would also do the training with them but if they got stuck or if just so they don't feel like I'm micromanaging as well, yeah. there's, there's a manual that they can refer yeah. to or they can ring me or something. So, so that it had that dual purpose as well. Yeah. Okay, mm. great. That's really cool. All right. We, we're going to dive into a bit of leading teams stuff because you've seen a lot of changes, I imagine, over the time that you yeah. owned your business. But maybe just for the... For the record, like what's on the cards now? You're taking a bit of a break. So it's been about seven months, eight months yeah. now yeah. since you've, oh, yeah, seven months since you've handed over. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's on the cards for you now? You're just enjoying some time? <laughs> Both. So I've still got a little three-year-old. So I'm enjoying enjoying time with him and I'm doing dance adjudicating that means I go um, get appointed as an adjudicator for competitions and then other than that I do leadership training and I'm also putting together a program called the Master Dancer Mindset and that's something I'll present to dance schools for, for students on how to really understand your mind and on how to overcome insecurities or feelings of inadequacy in relation to dancing yeah yeah, Amazing. that's a little personal love of mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember a book maybe on the yeah, cards. I'm still, still, I'm still plugging away oh, at good. that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still like clop, clop, clopping. So I'd gotten to the point with that one where I'd gotten to 80,000 words and I'm working with Ooh, this wonderful editor. And that's decent. Yeah, yeah, but so it was sort of like a memoir, a hybrid memoir than a how-to. And she's just said to me, I really think you should ditch the how-to and just do full yeah. memoir. And I'm really confronted by that. So I've, I have had to ditch 50,000 words. Okay, so it was 50,000. <laughs> yes, and there's 30. And so... And so this year I'm really naughty. I've only done 5,000 words. I'm really sorry, Madeline. That's my editor. And I'm just having to, 
yeah, like negotiate with myself as to what I'm going to say in, you know, what sections I want in, what I don't. So I'm kind of stuck with that being really honest, but it's it's not ended. (laughs) Okay. Well, my husband's on book two, so maybe you could chat chat to him sometime (laughs) because, and his books aren't aren't memoirs at the moment. I think he's going to do a book actually with his dad, which would be really cool. Oh, nice. So sort of a bit of a, a... an opportunity to pass down some yeah. intergenerational wisdom and and they both have a love of of different things so yeah so that would be later but it's certainly the first two books are more business strategy yeah. related but he can totally help you with oh <laughs> keeping so yourself cool. psyched and going and, and the momentum not losing yeah, momentum <laughs> yeah I feel like you're someone that once you get going it's probably not an issue but yeah yeah, creating that habit around writing is is the first and probably the hardest hardest bit. So let's talk a little bit about leading teams because this is something that I know you're quite passionate about. And I, as I said before, having the dance school for 20 plus years and also seeing without my own personal bias in here, but I think the landscape in terms of employees and expectations and just generation to generation, it feels weird saying that I'm like a different, but if you are going to employ a 20, 21 year old, they've grown up in a completely different, they've grown up with phones, fans, phones, you know, in their hands yes. <laughs> from like a few months old. And so it's it's a, just a completely different different scene now. So I imagine that's that's been very interesting, watching the difference in people's expectations, but also like work ethic and all of those sorts of things, but also like what kids nowadays can bring to businesses that, that – you know a lot of us can be a bit resistant to technology but I think there's also benefit to yeah having some of those younger people around because they they just know all the things and the social media and all of that something that I know happens for a lot of business owners that we work with is the fact that you're pouring your heart and soul into this business as the founder it's your dream it's your vision and you've got the the goals, both financially, but also just what you want to create, the values, those sorts of things. Every time you're bringing someone new into the team or thinking of expanding, you're having to bring people along with you in terms of, hey, this is where I'm going with the business. Do you want to come too? Like, is this something that excites you? And as I mentioned, sometimes you're employing people where they are transient and I'm not sure if being in a beautiful town like Byron Bay that comes into into play because it is a beautiful holiday destination as well but it can mean that some staff want to stick around and this be their forever job and then other people it's a stepping stone to something else so as the founder or the owner what have you found has been challenging in terms of bringing people along for the ride. Yeah. I think the big thing for me is realizing there's two things that I'd had the business for a long time, like 23 years. And again, I was a baby, then I became an adult. And so I had changed and was I changing with the times? I'd have to always question 
myself, even with regard to choreography and even though towards the end I wasn't teaching as much, being aware of what, in the nature of my business, what is current choreography and especially in your jazz and hip jazz and hip hop genres. So there's that as well as the technology side of it. And one of my struggles, I suppose, I found is that I would have, for instance, for example, I had one wonderfully keen employee, really good up-to-date choreography, but yet was not actually following protocol. And so that was that was an out there struggle that I've probably never really had before. So to give you an idea, when you're in, when I sign up, when employees come, they get the job, they get their contract, I will take them through and read them through what the contract is, the ethos of the school, the expectation, our code of conduct and what they can and can't do. So it's really clear, especially for the nature of my business, a good social media policy. That can be a sticking point with dance schools. You can see some will have a really open, like all their staff can be friends with the students and all of that. Okay. But I ran my school, like you do not be friends with the students. You're like a school teacher. You, your interaction with them is in the classroom only because there's also the child safety stuff. Mm. It's all about how can we protect children and how can we provide a really safe environment for children and after school activities. So, so I would have to make sure I was all over that. Mm -hmm. And so my social media for some of more, more so one or two of my staff was a little bit archaic because they (laughs) wanted, they wanted to have that social media. I am such and such, and I'm a teacher at dance dynamics and be friends with all of the students. Okay. So that was probably my little tricky hard spot in my business especially towards the end of me owning it can I ask you a question on that it's really interesting that you say that but I have had a lot of creative friends and part of being a creative is that you're wanting to express yourself all the time and you want to show people what you're good at and yeah what you're doing and what you're up to and what your students are up to but it's also really important to advance Mm. in your career if you see that you want to be on stage doing big things one day you almost have to create that as a like a resume type of thing and social media is so key for anyone yeah as far as that goes so was that was that sort of so where it got a bit tricky for people mainly towards the end of my ownership it was you know just one in particular that really and she read the contract you know everything agreed but then you know was kind of wanting to do her own thing. And it was like, look, you signed up for this. You knew what it was. So there was those conversations, which were a little bit tricky to have, like that sort of side of the business and also the creative side of it for the employees of, you know, building their resume. And something that I did do, which I would always allow them to have footage of say the routines at, at the competitions that they had created. So they can have that footage and they can post it and that's that's fine, but just stuff of the kids in class, unless it's posted from from the dance. Because so Dance Dynamics had the permission and the employees didn't mm. have the permission mm. from the parents. So there's all these legal things as well yeah, right. that they don't understand really. And so for me, I said at this stage, this is this is what it is. And I know other schools don't do that. They don't look, there's lots that don't even have contracts with their staff and I'm not into that. And even though you may have had it like that over there, they're a newer school and this is how we run it here. And 
I was kind of like, so that made me realize I'm this old teacher now. Like I'm this old <laughs> dense, like school owner. I'm not the yeah. young, fresh one. <laughs> and, you know, back when I had started my school, I didn't have, when, as soon as I started employing, and there was no social media. No, back there then was no social all. media. Yeah. And I also didn't even have contracts with my staff. Yeah. Like I know there's like 10 and 12 year olds with social media accounts. Yes. And then there's parents that won't let their kids have no. social media till they're 18 type of thing. Yes. So, oh man. We also had the other side of the coin of when I did allow t- students to follow teachers, like if they had open profiles, then the parents would start contacting the teacher and there'd be this real lack of boundary and and so that teacher would have to say thanks you need to direct your conv- your message to the manager so mm-hmm. here it, and so so there'd be that sort of thing which which for me was tricky and again if i still owned the school i'd have to change with the times and have a think about how i can do it in a way that's still honoring yeah also the pressures i have of child safety so yeah. They were very real pressures and look, lots of people just ignore, ignore them. And I, I couldn't, I had to, I felt like I just had to do the right thing by everyone, which is really hard. But the priority for me was not on that one employee. It was on the 200 plus students and their Mm. families. Have you found with employees and bringing people into businesses now, like if we're kind of looking in the last few years did you notice the expectations change? Did you notice uh, things change much over the years? And for those people that are thinking of bringing someone in, because a lot of the businesses we work with, it would be on like a contract yeah. basis or it's part-time. There's sometimes it's full-time, yeah, but it might not necessarily be a permanent staff member. So if people are looking to do that, what would be some of the things you – you would tell people to do like this is this is essential from my experience and what I've seen over these I was quite fortunate in terms of all my employees also had other work because for them they viewed it as a hobby job that they really enjoyed and they loved and my manager was the only one that was an actual part-time she didn't want to go full-time and it was fine for her not to she got all her work done in in a part-time so what I found was with dance schools it was an after hour thing and there's different models you can have in terms of do I employ less staff and they do more hours or do I have more staff doing less hours and I don't necessarily have the answer. All I can say is I was a really needs-based what what we need at the at the time. If I had a really good key staff member that wanted more work, I would do everything I can to get them more work. And I had I had in the past cut my hours back as a teacher, as an employee when I was teaching to give someone more hours mm. just to keep them because they were really great and I wanted to do right by them. Yeah, actually recently we had someone come into Creator Club and we did a Q&A session with him. He's he's out of his business. He still owns it, but he's moved from Melbourne to the Sunshine Coast. And one thing they actually did, which was really great, he actually brought them on as full-time staff members. And yeah. in terms of keeping that vision alive with the staff members and them having purpose in terms of growing with the business 
it really made a huge difference for yeah. him. And obviously they had to be in a position where they could employ people like say for 30 hours yes. a week, which yeah. can be quite a lot. They actually found that to be the best way to, in order to have that team that gelled really well and were really yeah. on board. So it's interesting, I think. There's different ways to do it, but definitely I'm finding that the businesses where the employees have more hours, have a stronger position in Mm. the business, it's better in the long run. Absolutely. And I always found that I had my core three or four staff that were the ones doing most of the hours because they, again, they were across all genres and they could, and they, they're so the pattern I had talking before about the nature and the pattern of the business, they're the ones that were there. Usually it's a seven year cycle with those ones. And the ones that just did maybe one genre, usually a three year cycle. I found just, just analyzing the nature of my business and employees and how long they stay for. All of that aside, you're also dealing with humans and humans have different personalities and different needs. And I'm just wondering as the owner, That can be challenging because sometimes you have a really good employee and you want to be able to do everything you can for them. Sometimes you have a not so great employee, but they're filling a gap, but they're also a little bit demanding. I've had all situations leading teams as well. And then sometimes people just naturally, it's, it's a mutual thing. They eventually exit the business anyway, and it works out okay. But I'd love to know like what's been your experience managing the different personalities and how you deal with that give and take of, okay, like I'm the owner and there's certain things we know need to do to keep this business really thriving, but then also I want my employees to be happy. Yeah. So what's that balance been like for you? Well, it's been such a tricky balance yeah. and I've the way I've wanted to – approach employing staff was I, I've wanted to first of all have a very clear outline of what the role is what their position is and I want them to feel welcome I don't want them to feel micromanaged I want to make sure I provide really good training and then their beautiful creative work can just come through and they can thrive I want them to feel like they can be their best selves in the business and that was really important so I had to provide provide that framework and again, it's like a house, having the, having the frames up, having the structure, that's your contract, that's your, that's your ethos, that's your code of conduct. And then from there, for me, I felt like a mother to some of them, literally feeling love for them. Mm. And, and I, and the feeling of, oh, I can't even think of another word, but like, the feeling of like, I, I adore them in a way. Like I, I really like what you do. I like who you are. And I want to see you fly in this role. So for me, if I, if I set it at that intention, I feel like magic can happen because it is a creative business, a dance school. Now you don't always get that, you know, you can start off with that. Then sometimes stuff can happen and you go, Whoa, where did (laughs) that come from? from? (laughs) Oh my goodness. And that's been disappointing. And I have had a couple of different experiences where, I, for instance, I had a wonderful staff member that was with me for a while and she self-harmed. And so part of that was when she let me know, you know, I, I suspected and I, I didn't directly ask her, but she did have a meltdown one day. And I said, I just want you to know that 
I really think you're doing a great job. And if there's anything else going on for you that I am a safe space, you can let me know. And she just said, look, I have had a history of this. I haven't harmed myself for a good few months, but you know, I'm, I'm really having a meltdown. And that particular day she wanted to go home from work and you know, I know for myself, if I'm having a bad day, sometimes work is the best thing. And yeah. again, I don't have that history, so I can only be as compassionate and empathetic as I can be, but I don't know what that feels like of what she she's experiencing. And so I had to trust, I, you know, I had to trust that, that she was a keeper. And I suppose with it, with each, each day by day, you know, you find that out as, it, it, as you go along. And I said, absolutely go home it's fine. You need to look after yourself. I want you to nurture yourself. It's not a problem. Go home. And then she came back, you know, the following week. So she had that the rest of that week off and just said, thank you so much for having my back. And she was worth, she was worth it. She was wonderful, a wonderful teacher, very qualified, beautiful at what she does. And yeah, a a wonderful mentor for students and children. And so I had to just hold that space for her and she literally hadn't harmed herself at all since then and since the six months before she told me. And so with that particular person every now and then, it was usually once a year there was probably a big meltdown she might have and I just needed her to know that I was safe, she could come. I'd much rather it out than in as opposed to going in that room teaching and children can sense it you know Mm. what I mean they can sense when you've got something going on and they're not relaxed in their class so she was definitely a really good bet and she was a wonderful teacher and she mentored so many of our students to great heights and I'm very grateful for that and so then I had though on the other hand I had someone who for instance again after I'd employed them six months into it this is a shocker All of a sudden I see on social media my students at a different dance school with her doing a workshop with them at a competitor dance school, which was 30 minutes away. And it was like WTF. It was full. It was, you know, the the betrayal you feel, let alone you're going against your contractual obligations. Mm. So I had to pull her in and say, what was that? And she innocently like kind of acted a bit dumb. What, what do you mean? What, 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 what? Like all panicked and very dramatic. And I said, so you've taken our students, you've advertised a competitor's workshop without my written approval because that's, that's in the contract. You need my approval. Any advertising of anything, run it by me. I'll let you know if it's a yes or a no. So she'd taken them elsewhere. And in her her narrative was that she that other dance schools that she had worked at that's a norm and I said it may appear to be a norm sorry that she was a student at when growing up it may appear to be a norm but you're an adult now and you you don't do that you've signed a contract I've been very clear with you as to what the rules are and she was apologetic and sort of you know naive look that that teacher ended up I had a choice where I could have fired her and I didn't 
and I probably should have. And then because it, it was with this person, it wasn't that. It was like a defiant disorder of some sort. So there was always something. She was incredibly deceitful. And so that was a really tricky one because she was a very popular teacher. She was incredibly charismatic, but she just felt that her rules were more important than mine and she was in her early 20s you know it was like so that, that was sense tricky. of entitlement is incredible <laughs> incredible very tough <laughs> in very 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 and and that was probably one of my biggest ouchies especially because I didn't I didn't I gave her the benefit of the doubt and that was a bad bet so you know and having said that the red flags always come back come up later in hindsight as well there was a red flag and I know for me I was in a situation where I I had a a baby I wasn't willing to step into her role and fire her I really really just needed someone as well so there was that yeah if I wasn't so desperate there I definitely would have made different choices I was feeling quite disempowered with a little baby and just overwhelmed and I just needed it to work and so there was that part of me that needed and you know it's like oh the sharks always come out when you're feeling at your lowest you know and and that is quite tricky having children and running business being the and I was not only did I have a business I've always been the breadwinner for 23 years of of that so in my personal life it was on me like to to really make it work yeah yeah Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. We can go as far as you want with oh, the go, conversation. Go. Your son's three and you had your daughter as well who yeah. grew up with you yeah. at the dance school. Yeah. And she was she's, by the sounds of it, been very involved in that. I think the biggest thing that I'm hearing, not being a parent myself, I love talking to other parents and The thing is, right, with running a business is every business is different and every way that people want a parent is different. So you've got two like completely not fixed variables there that you're playing with. But the the flip side of that is that businesses can offer you some flexibility. Yeah. You're not totally free, (laughs) as you know, but it does offer you the ability to to bring people in and to manage your schedule a little bit more around kids and things like that, picking them up from school and when you work and, and all of that. But it is tough. And I guess over the years, raising two children, what would be your advice to parents who are maybe feeling like they love their business and they love working in it and it's not a matter of of that but it's being able to balance it and not feel guilty for always having yeah it's always in the back of your mind a business yes you can't walk away from it no. which is tough but I grew up I don't know about your parents but I grew up with parents running businesses and it can actually be really fun as kids too so I think there's that other side of it that what you can teach your kids is pretty cool so yeah let's let's finish off there maybe with a few words of wisdom around yeah the balance (laughs) I feel like I once when my daughter Sinead was younger I I went through a a thing of oh should I be working so much and I remember speaking to someone about it and they said it's really important that children see see that you have a passion and a purpose that is not about them. Mm. And so we're here to live out that passion and purpose. And I know what it feels like to have a mother vicariously live through you, not necessarily facilitate you to be good at something, but to 
not have her own purpose and then her purpose becomes about you. And I personally, look, I'm speaking from personal experience. I don't necessarily think that was healthy for me and I don't think it was healthy for my mum. And I know it's not something that I want to do. So I, I love working and I feel like having the solution for me was to have really good boundaries around work and family. And sometimes going to work feels like a holiday, you know, it's like, oh, great. I get a break from the kids. It's <laughs> yeah. wonderful. And they, and they get a break from me. And then when I haven't seen them for a while, there's so much gratitude and a little bit of absence makes the heart grow fonder And there. So I feel like that I just had to find a good balance. And once I did that, things started to work really well. So little things for me was, you know, after five o'clock, well, now this one is tricky is having the phone off or just, you know, don't, don't look at the phone. Now my manager was working sometimes till five or six and I do need to be on call at times when the studio was running and also teachers might be there till eight. So even though I'm not there, so that didn't work for me so much. And I had to keep explaining that to my husband. I'm now in my second marriage and which he's like, (laughs) he actually got before I sold the school. I'm like, dude, this is what I do. I need to be able to text message back if there's something going on. But, you know, in a normal nine to five thing, I'd say, you know, like no phone at the dinner table, just have those boundaries and really get that your family want you fully present with them. So I, I wasn't great at that. Definitely. I can own that. I put my hand up and say, I'm a bit of a, what's going on there. And, and I do like social media sometimes a bit too much. So I have to make sure I'm being present with my family. And yeah, like the organizational side of it, like Sunday night is I'd set aside half an hour and that's when I'd, or maybe an hour if I need it, that's when I'd plan my week and I wouldn't think about it at all on the Saturday or the Sunday. I'd just try and be really present with my family and then just Sunday evening, prepare the week. And then also like job, like what part of, if you're in a, a nuclear type family, what roles is each doing in the household to support the kids? So one might do all the newsletters, one might make the lunches, one might, and kind of share that in a way if that's at all possible. (laughs) They're like little things. (laughs) That's great. I love that. I love that. I know that that will, will help them. And I think even just people love hearing how other mothers and fathers balance business. And I know that it's tricky for them, but I think you're right. I think that sense of purpose that you feel through your work kids really feed off that and yeah it's it's pretty cool also for them to see what's possible for your daughter to see to having having grown up and now be at an age where she's seen you sell it and she's understands a little bit about entrepreneurship and so she's at least had that taste yes and it sounds like that's not going to be her path right now but But at least she knows because I think not having access to that and then wanting to go into business yourself maybe in your mid to late 20s and then going oh I don't know anything I don't know what this is like no one's owned a business it can be in my family it can be really challenging yes very cool Kate well this has been a great conversation we've we've talked about a lot of interesting yeah. things around running a business selling a business and also great to hear your thoughts on managing a team you've done really really well like oh, honestly I think hats off to any business owner but anyone that that can stick it out for that long yeah. and still 
really love the industry oh thank you're still you. doing it you're yeah, still part of it still yeah. A, yeah still a, you know it's yeah there's and there's ways you what you can do if to reignite your passion for it and that's where like what you guys do is awesome so yeah thank you <laughs> thank you